Good morning, church. Uh, today's reading is from Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go, my and I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son that was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother who was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. I hope that y'all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's such a joy to be with you uh, in the event that you've been joining us for the last couple of weeks. We have been in a series called The Parables of Jesus. And you have seen several other preachers up here, and uh, they did an amazing job in the event that you've been with us over the last couple of weeks. I have some really big shoes to fill because those guys are some of my favorite preachers. Um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, by God's grace and your kindness, uh, I've been able to have some time off with my family to rest and uh, regroup and today is my first day back in the pulpit. So thank you so much for the time off. In the event that you have your Bible, which I hope you do, and if you did not hear Ephraim, we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 15. We're looking at verses 11 through 32. While you open or load your Bible, let me give you just two quick things. If you are new, I would love the opportunity to get to meet you pray for you, or take you out to lunch. There are these Connect cards that are on the chairs. Fill one out and leave it in the Connect desk, and we'll get back with you very, very soon. 
In addition to that, we have Bibles for you because we love God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. And so if you do not have one, please take one. That is our gift to you. And if you know someone that would benefit from having God's Word in their hands, then hook them up. Other than that, that's all I have. I'm sure we'll catch up later. I'd love to dig into our time because we have a large chunk of Scripture to walk through this morning. Well, in 2008, uh, a film came out called Gran Torino, and uh, Clint Eastwood stars in this film, and he plays Walt Kowalski. He's a retired Army veteran who served in the Korean War. In this film, there is a family in his neighborhood that befriends him, uh, and they get, through to, uh, they get through his cold and rigid heart, and they become close with him, and they become good friends with him. And there's this scene in the film where the family's house is targeted by a local gang, and a drive-by shooting occurs. Walt secures his pistol and heads over to the house, only to find that the family has been shaken, scared, and wounded. Later on in the film, Walt is visited by a priest who is also friends with the family. And Walt is found sitting in his chair inside of his house with the lights turned off. Both Walt and the priest are angry at what just happened, but they're also distraught at the realization of the trauma that this family is experiencing. They both know that this family, the Lord family, is trying to aim for a better life. And the priest, in his anger, goes on to say, it just isn't fair. And Walt responds by saying, nothing is fair, Father. Life isn't fair. There's a lot of truth behind that brief exchange between Walt and the priest, and it led me to think about fairness. I actually never got to see the full extent of the film. I actually just watched that scene in the barbershop this week. (laughs) But it led me to think about fairness, from growing up with older brothers and not getting my way to losing wrestling matches and competitions, for, uh, in addition to striving for what I felt I, what I deserved and didn't receive it. A good question would be, where do you turn in order to experience and receive fairness? Some of you are those justice people and the right and wrongs, and you want fairness because rules are cool. When it comes to fairness, it's at this point, I think, where many might think, oh, it's in this part of the sermon where the tone is going to change and we're going to start talking about God's fairness especially as we've been working through the series and the parables, uh, but that's not exactly what we're going to do. By way of reminder, a parable in its simplest form is an earthly story with heavenly intention. There are many parables throughout the Gospels, and in this series, we're only going to be looking at ten. When it comes to the parables, Jesus talks about many things, such as salvation, judgment, wisdom, the Christian life, and the kingdom of God. But there isn't much talk about fairness. And that's where we find ourselves today in the parable of the prodigal son and his older brother. And so here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's your main idea. The kingdom of God is not about fairness, but the grace of forgiveness. I'll say that one more time because I see some pens moving. The kingdom of God is not about fairness, but the grace of forgiveness. Now, to be clear, this is not to say that judgment and the wrath of God aren't real. They are absolutely real. However, when we look at fairness... And when we look at recipients of grace, that is those who receive God's unmerited favor on this side of eternity, how is it fair? Is receiving God's grace fair? If it was fair, I'll say it this way, if it was fair, then it would not be called grace. So let us look at the text Let's unpack this parable of the prodigal son and the older brother, and let us ask the Lord for insight and revival. So let me pray, and we'll dig in. 
Father, we begin by praising you for one more day that has been filled with your mercy and grace. We give thanks to you for the Lord Jesus and his work in our place and for our sin, reconciling us to you. We give thanks to you for your word, which does not return void. Therefore, would you speak to us through your word this morning? By your Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts to draw near to you? Help us to see you more clearly, follow you earnestly, and turn to you quickly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's important to briefly look back to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 15. I don't think it's up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's important to look at these first two verses because they will provide us with context. And so let me just read them very briefly, and then I'll unpack a little bit of this context. This is Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is Jesus, Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there are two things happening. First, sinners are drawing near to Jesus. Why are they drawing near? Because Jesus has been hanging out with the tax collectors, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the thieves. He's been hanging out with them, spending time with them, teaching them, sharing meals with them, sharing the truth of the kingdom of God without compromise, and they know that. And though not all of them believed, they were honored and valued by Jesus. Therefore, they drew near to him. They wanted to spend more time with him. Secondly, the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders of Jesus' day, are watching this and they do not approve. In fact, Luke writes that the Pharisees grumbled. That is that they complained. They spoke amongst one another. They gossiped to one another. In our day, they would be texting back and forth on a private thread. They would be posting on social media, right, passive-aggressively. They grumbled. Jesus, hearing their complaints, responds to them with three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and finally, the parable of the prodigal son. Each parable has a different story, but with the same meaning and intention. The parable of the prodigal son is the longest of the three. These are all recorded in Luke 15. And in this parable, we're going to break it up into five sections. We're going to be looking at the heart of the prodigal, the heart of the father, the heart of the older brother, the similarities between the two brothers, and finally, a heart of repentance. And if you're taking notes, don't worry, we'll walk through these slowly. But let us first begin with the heart of the prodigal. So we know what's going on, and we're leading into this parable, okay? Beginning in verse 11. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, and the heart of the uh, the prodigal, let me go back real quickly. The heart of the prodigal is found in verses 11 to 16. Continuing, verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property, that is the dad, between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Every parable has characters that represent a specific person or people. Here, the prodigal son represents sinners living apart from God, those who do not know Jesus. And their heart, that is the center of who they are, is one of rebellion and rejection toward God. And so here's what's going on with the younger son, the prodigal son. He goes to his dad and he asks for his inheritance. In other words, he does not desire delayed gratification, but rather demands instant gratification. He's ready to be his own man. He's ready to experience the world and live independently. 
And if it doesn't sound like that's that big of a deal, going to his father and saying, I'm wanting my inheritance now, essentially is him going to his father and saying, I wish you were dead so that I can get my stuff already. That would be the equivalent of it. It gets a little bit weightier when we look at it that way. Well, we are told in this parable that the father liquidates his assets and hooks him up with his inheritance. And so the prodigal receives his inheritance and he moves away. Now, he doesn't pull like what many people in the valley do, right? Where they move to like Edinburgh or Mission, right? Or they don't, he doesn't pull what they do in terms of moving into the big time and that is going to San Antonio. No, instead what he does is he moves to an entirely different country. And in the story or in the parable, we see that he squanders all of his inheritance. That is, that he blows all of his money. And by the way, if you don't know what the word prodigal means, it means someone who spends lavishly and foolishly, and it is not just in the context of finances. Essentially, what he is doing is he moves to a new country, he moves to a new city, he's got fat pockets with some green, and he's going into the pub saying, drinks are on me, I'm going to do whatever it is that I want, I want to be just like Curly Bill in Tombstone, right, where he's just buying everybody drinks. And at some point, we are told that the country experiences a famine, the market crashes, and he's broke. And he starts selling everything off. And he's just trying to get by. And finally, he's utterly broke. And so he lands a job on a pig farm. Now, in this story, that has a little bit of weight to it. The reason it has some weight to it is because this boy, this son, the prodigal, is a Jewish boy. And so working in a pig farm was like the lowest of the lows. To the Jewish community, man, you weren't around pigs. You didn't eat pork. Bacon was a sin. They were unclean, filthy animals that you stayed away from. He is at the lowest low of his life working at a pig farm. Just trying to make make it by. And we're told that he was so broke, both emotionally and financially, that he says that the pigs ate better than he did. And he was willing to join them. That he was so broke relationally. If you look back, I think this is in verses, uh, this is verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. All of his Instagram friends, his Facebook friends, the friends that he was making at the pub, the co-workers that he kind of had maybe, the ones that he was always jamming out with, no one was around him now. He was alone and at the bottom of life. No one came through. The prodigal represents all of us that were at one point living apart from knowing Jesus. You see, you and I were lovingly, lavishly exercising our free will and running, rebelling, and rejecting God by living as prodigals. We were enemies of God. We were outside of a relationship with God. More specifically, we were under condemnation. The heart of the prodigal was the heart we once had apart from the saving grace of God. Well, let's turn to the heart of the Father. This is found in verses 21 and 24. We're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit. In a moment, we're going to see that the prodigal realizes his condition and he heads back to his father. We're going to look deeper into those details in a bit. But for now, let's look at the heart of the father once more. That's verses 21 to 24. As we jump ahead, and even as you heard the parable read, we learn that the prodigal, the boy, comes home. 
And he comes home ready with an armed speech for his pops. All right, so let's go to verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You could just imagine him rehearsing it over and over again as he heads back to his dad's house. He's just got to get it right. He's got to say the right things. And so he comes ready with this arm speech for his pops. And we're told that his dad sees him at a distance. Once more, back to verse 20 and 21. He comes to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How, how did his father, an older man, see him? We're not told how. But here's the thing. As parents, you know. You know your kids' walks. You know their quirks. You know how they stand. You know how they sit. You know your children. And so at a distance, the father sees him, and we see, and we are told that the father runs, hugs, and kisses his son. And the father in this parable is representative of God, and God loves and knows his children. And in this parable, we see the fatherhood of God. That is, upon returning to God, he does not wait. God doesn't wait. He runs towards his son. You could imagine the boy coming up to the house and just wondering, okay, here it is. I've been practicing this speech. I know what I'm going to say. I know how I'm going to say it. And before he could even move forward, we see the father run after his son. And Jesus says that the father has compassion for his boy. This is consistent with the gentle and lowly heart of God for sinners and sufferers. That is that God sees the need, he feels the need, and then he acts. Not simply in the form of a parable, but in actuality that God enters into human history as the man Jesus Christ. He enters into our brokenness and the vanity of our life and lives in our stead, dies in our place, is resurrected three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit and freely offers us a grace that you and I cannot earn. Within this heart of compassion lies grace. You see, the father in the story has every right to abandon, dismiss, and reject his son. It would be within the parameters of the law and culture of the day. And the father, a beautiful radical, pulls his robe up, doesn't care about his old knees, and runs towards his son. And his love is so intense for his boy that his boy can't even complete the scripted confession that he's been practicing. And so he goes on to tell the father, I have sinned against heaven and you. And the father says, I know. Hey, what we need to do is we need to get him a robe. We need to get him shoes. We need to clothe him. The father forgives his son because upon returning to him, the boy was already forgiven. His pops tells his servants to bring the best robes, rings, shoes. That means that the boy walked home barefoot. And he says, get the fattest cab, man. We're going to grill some fajitas. We're going to have a taquisa. We're going to do barbacoa. We're going to bust out the aguas frescas, elotes, the best wines. We're going to do it all because my boy is home and now he was once lost and now he is found and it is time to celebrate. See, when we come before God, we're not clean. You don't have it figured out. Rather, we come broken, empty, and check it, hopeful that we would get just a tiny bit of better life than what we've already experienced. The son tells the dad no longer, that he is no longer worthy to be called his son. And it was almost like the dad ignores it. That the son just wants something, just a taste. I just don't want to work in the pig pen. 
Like, I'll be one of your servants. I'll be one of your slaves because I'm just, I'm not a good son. I, I really jacked this up. And instead, the father calls him son. See, the fatherhood of God shows us his compassion for saving sinners and sufferers like you and me. See, the father doesn't give a handout, but a new life, a new heart. The father is the one that clothes the son. The servants in this parable represent the angels. And he says that the angels celebrate because another child has been found. The fatherhood of God is one of compassion and forgiveness for all who turn to him. That is the beauty of this parable. But there's more. Next, we come to the heart of the older brother. This is verses 25 to 32. In this parable, if you've read it before or you've heard of the, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, there are three things that commonly happen. First, everyone associates most with the prodigal son. And, and to a degree, that's true. We were all there. Some are still there. Second, everyone forgets about the older brother. Third, most do not realize that they are, in fact, the older brother. So let's look at the older brother. Once more, this is verses 25 to 32. Here, the older brother represents the Pharisees the religious, the self-righteous, the legalistic, the rule followers. He represents those who are supposedly of the household of God. We could say in our time, we could say that he's representative of the church. And his heart is one of stone, bitterness, and also rejection. And so let's look at verse 25. I'll read most of it, not all of it, and then we'll, we'll unpack it. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Verse 27, servant said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And he responds, Look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. All right, what's going on? The older brother. The older brother is not like the younger brother. The younger brother took off. He blew all of his money. The older brother stayed back, worked with dad, worked the field, and he hears everything that's going on. He hears about all that's happening through this servant. And what ends up happening? He gets angry. He is furious. He is livid. Because why? It's not fair. It's not fair. And so the father comes to him just as Jesus comes to us and entreats him. That means he's earnestly inviting him. He's saying, hey, hey, what, what's the problem? Like your brother's home. Come on, come on. Like, like we got this party going. We're just waiting for you because he's here. And the older brother is so livid that at this point, not only does he not want to celebrate, but his heart is exposed. And we see that it is one that is hardened with stone with bitterness, with legalism. What does, he, what does he do? He's ready. He's ready for his father. He says, I have served you. I'm not like him. 
Right? He goes on to say, this son of yours, that tells us that he thinks very low, very little of his younger brother, that he cannot even recognize him as his own brother. And so he says, I have served you. I wasn't like him. I didn't blow my money. I've been here working. And then he pulls one of the, one of the oldest tricks in the book, kind of like what you and I do when, when we're in an argument, maybe with our spouse or friends. And he says, I've never disobeyed you. You know, when you use the words never and always, like Buddha lies, right? Like, you know, you, you, it's never, never, right? And he says, I've never disobeyed you. Like, really? Never? But he says, I served you. I'm not like him. I'm not blowing money. I'm not doing those things. I've never disobeyed you. And in that time, you have never hooked me up with a goat for my friends. Essentially, what the brother is doing is he has the list ready to go so that he can shove it in his dad's face. And he's angry because what his brother is experiencing to him is not fair. He's telling his dad, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't part of the plan. This is not what we said. I've been here. He hasn't. You owe me. And the father's response is still one of compassion. Verse 31. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and now he is found. So the father comes to the brother, the older son. He entreats him. Hey, come on. Like you're already in the family. Come on. And the brother, as he's getting grilling his dad, the father still responds with compassion. In the context of the parable, the Pharisees are mad because Jesus is spending time with, dining with, and saving sinners. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, the one who have memorized books of the Bible, the one who know how to pray really well, the ones who are educated in biblical studies, the ones who have gone to Sunday school, the ones who know how the church works, the, the church people, he's going to them and saying, hey, some of these sinners, man, they're repenting of their sin. I'm going to be saving them. Come on. And they're getting angry because sinners are receiving grace. It's the equivalent of Christians who are mad when sinners are forgiven, when sinners receive grace, when sinners come and know Jesus. How do you know if you're one of the Pharisees? Well, let me ask you this. Who do you write off? Who do you dismiss? Who do you consider insignificant? lesser than you. You're better than. You're more superior. And maybe you wouldn't use that kind of language. But who do you write off? That's how you will know. When a sinner is saved, when someone receives grace and forgiveness, you write them off. The classic is, we'll see. We'll see. You write them off because you're surprised and steamed at God doing what God does. And the tragedy is that this is many in the church. This is many of you today. A heart that is hardened, bitter, and filled with reasons as to why you deserve grace. Rather than discipling others or one another, you are angry and self-righteous and you grumble. Rather than spend time with those who do not know Jesus, you judge them repeatedly and condemn them regularly. Rather than sharing the gospel, you judge. Rather than sharing the gospel, you make excuses for why they do not deserve it. And you have lists ready to go and you post 
passively on social media. Rather than walking in faithfulness, you think that God owes you. God owes you nothing. The sad reality is that many of us have become the older brother with a heart filled with pride and arrogance. And so for a moment, let us look at the similarities between the two brothers. And then we will conclude with the heart of repentance. I'll try to be brief. It's not one of my gifts. I want to look at two things. First one is, both brothers reject the father. The younger one, the prodigal, goes to dad, and he says, hook me up with my inheritance now. Told you what that basically means. I wish you were dead so that I can get your stuff. He doesn't want the father. He wants the father's stuff. The older brother tells the father what? I've done all of these things for you. I have never disobeyed you. He is squandering all of your inheritance. Give me your stuff because I deserve it. Both brothers value property over the father. So let's, let's park in that for a little bit. Both brothers, both brothers value property over the father, over people. Secondly, both brothers refuse grace. The prodigal, the younger son, as he goes home to his dad, as he returns home, he goes on to say, I'm not worthy to be called his son. Maybe he'll treat me as one of his servants. Essentially what he's saying is, man, if I could just work my way back into my dad's graces and I can do this even as a slave, I'm cool with that. I'm cool. The older brother refuses grace because he believes or misunderstands it because he believes he is owed grace because of what he has done or what he hasn't done. Both brothers misunderstand grace. Yet, both brothers are shown the compassion of the father. See, for the, for the prodigal, the father forgives him. He, if you think about it, he gives him what the son was not asking for. He's like, man, I'll, I just want to be a slave. I'll be a servant. I'll just work for you. And he gives them the grace of forgiveness and calls him son. For the older brother, the father goes to him, just like he did with the younger brother. He goes to him and he entreats him. He earnestly invites him to participate. Hey, repent and let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Your brother's here. Both brothers are shown the compassion of the father. So you might say, oh man, I recognize, uh, or I see myself as the prodigal, or I think I am the older brother. Then, then what is required of both brothers? What is it that is needed? What is needed is a heart of repentance. There are distinct differences between the brothers. One learns of his condition, while the other one thinks more highly of himself and needs to be brought low. So let's conclude with the heart of repentance. This is verses 17 to 20. Here, a heart of repentance, we're going to learn, is more than confession, but one where we turn from our sin, empty and broken, but forgiven and embraced. So let's look at the process of repentance from the experience of the prodigal. The first thing that we're going to note is that the prodigal son, uh, is, is, his condition is made known to him. Let's go to verse 17. Here's the key phrase. But when he came to himself, he is at the bottom of the bottom, the lowest of the low. And what we finally see is surrender. You see, it's more than simply working with the pigs. He wasn't just simply working with the pigs. He was living in filth. 
He was enslaved to his sin. And so how did he come to himself? How did he realize this? Well, it was the Holy Spirit who revealed his depravity. His hearts and his eyes were now exposed to his sin, his bondage, his enslavement. And isn't that the way it works? That when we are brought from spiritual life or spiritual death to spiritual life, it is the Holy Spirit that ignites newness in our hearts only for the scales to fall and us to realize the enslavement, the bondage, the filth that we have been chained to. And so in so doing, the Holy Spirit calls us to himself through the message of the gospel. And so the prodigal realizes his condition. He realizes he's living in filth. He's enslaved. And so now what does he do? He confesses, verse 18 and 19. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." So the prodigal's eyes are opened to his sin and bondage just like ours are when the Holy Spirit brings about a new heart. And so here he confesses his sin. But I want you to notice what he does as he confesses. He confesses first before God. Knowing he's going to go to the Father and confess to him as well. But the first person, we could say it this way, the first person that he realizes that he has sinned against is God. King David says something similar in Psalm 51. This is verse 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I don't know if there are any left, but these were the devotionals that we gave away at the beginning of this series on the parables of Jesus. Um, You got to hear Alan Morales preach a couple of weeks ago, and he says something really profound in this week's devotional. Alan goes on to say, the grim reality is that sin is never compartmentalized. It expands to every crevice of our lives. So when it comes to the prodigal, we see him, yes, confess before the Lord and realize that this has actually poured out into his family. So there's confession. And then there is repentance. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. That is, he turned away from sin and returned to the father. Check it. He left his sin. He didn't leave it in the cart. He didn't leave it there in case of a rainy day. He didn't negotiate with it and bring it alongside of him. He didn't talk about it in in the event that this doesn't work out, man, I could always just go back to this. He's not negotiating. There aren't options for him. He did whatever it took to leave his sin and go to the Father even if it meant going home with nothing, including shoes. He left his sin. See, for most of us, when it comes to this process of recognizing our sin, confessing our sin, we'll we'll stop there at confession. Like, yeah, 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 I'm not perfect. I mean, nobody really is, right? Like, you know, everybody always kind of jacks it up every once in a while. Right? Or we'll negotiate our sin. Yeah, but you don't understand what really happened here. So I'm just going to hold on to this. Or you give yourself a couple of options. Right? Well, in the, in the event that this doesn't happen, I got this, this, and this. So you kind of leave it like you do with stuff in your Amazon cart, just in case. Because when it gets really hard, when that day comes where it's really challenging, you're like, I'm just going to uh, indulge in this. That's, most of us are there. Repentance, however, is not just turning away. It's doing whatever it takes to leave it. Doing whatever it takes to kill it. That's one of the things that Paul tells the Romans, right? Hey, because of the Spirit of God that lives and resides in you, put to death the deeds of the body. Right? 
You're not strong enough. That's why you have the Spirit residing in you. Put to death the deeds of the body. Repentance is seeing our sin. But we can't see it unless we surrender. Just give up. Right? He was the lowest of the lows and he surrendered. Repentance involves confessing our sin. That is, acknowledge it. I want you to notice what he says. Let's go back up to verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't make any excuses. Like that's, that's the script. That's it. Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against my family. That's it. He's not adding more to it. He's not blaming anyone. He's not pointing the fingers at someone else. And if only this had gone better and if this had gone differently, he owns it. That's personal responsibility for his sin. And then he turns to God, empty but forgiven. Church, let me encourage you as we're talking about repentance let me encourage you to guard yourself from what I call mechanical repentance and pursue genuine repentance. Mechanical repentance is when you are saying the right things, but you're really not confessional. Right? Mechanical repentance is when you say sorry, but your heart is actually still bitter been in those situations? Yeah, but. Right? Mechanical repentance is where you kind of just go through the motions. Go through the Old Testament. You see the people of God doing that regularly. Oh man, if we confess our sin, he's going to forgive us. So that's what he has to do. That's what God does. God forgives. Cool, sweet. Let's just, let's just say what we need to say so we can keep doing what we want to do. That's mechanical repentance. Genuine repentance, however, bears grief but not shame. There, there is a weightiness to it. I'm not going to lie. There is a weightiness to it. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, and I, don't, I don't wish that you were grieved, but I, I'm actually glad that you were grieved because your grief led you into repentance. And if that's what it took, man, praise God. So there is grief, but not shame. Shame is what tells you who you used to be and you're still this person and look at you. no. No, that's not the gospel. Repentance is not religious activism. I'm going to do the right things, say the right things, and either just continue in my sin, right? Or pull the whole, like, I'm just going to pop a few Hail Marys and I'll be good. King David in the same psalm goes on to say that God doesn't delight in sacrifice, but a, a humbled heart and a broken spirit. Genuine repentance produces worship. Because the only way, the only way you and I are capable of repenting is if we have first received God's grace. It's the only reason we can do it to begin with. It's not like you mustered it all up. Man, God poured his grace into you so that you can turn. In short, a heart of repentance bears fruit. We opened our time talking about fairness and how the kingdom of God, that is saving faith, isn't about fairness, but rather it's about the grace of forgiveness. It's all about grace. It's always been about grace. So praise be to God that the grace of forgiveness isn't fair because if it was, then it would not be called grace. Yes, many of us were prodigals. But just because we're now the older brother doesn't mean we're not prone to wander. Those of you who are prodigals, the Lord calls you to himself through his compassion. So, as we close, Christian, maybe you're the older brother. You may do all of the right things. You may know what to say. You may understand how the church works, but you do so without Jesus. You have forgotten him. 
your heart has grown hardened, bitter, and self-righteous. So as your brother, let me entreat you to repentance. Turn toward the Lord Jesus, knowing that you already, that's present tense, that's right now, don't look at your notes, right now you stand forgiven because of his work on your behalf, because of his obedience on your behalf, and because of his grace poured out to you. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here. Perhaps you're the prodigal. The Lord calls you to himself to receive his compassion, his forgiveness, and his grace that he freely gives. I'm not here to promise you an easier life, but rather to assure you of eternal life. The Lord Jesus stands ready to pardon all who turn from their sin and turn toward him in faith and repentance. So church, to summarize our time, the kingdom of God isn't about, for, isn't about fairness, but the grace of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, may we pursue a great humility in recognizing that we were once the prodigal in this parable, enslaved to our sin, and by the grace of the Holy Spirit, you brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, making us new, redeeming us. We praise you and we thank you. Father, may we confess individually and as a church with our hearts and lips that we have a propensity to align with the older brother in this parable more than we'd like to admit. That after any given time, we are prone to still wander and forget Jesus. We grow cold self-righteous and hardened while still expecting you to bless us. Would you forgive us? And Lord, would you help us? We are often lukewarm. We lack belief and it weakens our confidence in you. Our sin makes us forget you. So our prayer is, let the weeds that, that grow in our soul be cut at their roots. Holy Spirit, would you grant us the grace to abide in Jesus today? Father, you are good because you are gracious. And you are gracious because you are good. May we draw near to you today and as we enter the new week. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen.